Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, good morning. I'll make sure to hold that a little bit lower. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, For the last couple of weeks, it's been a really busy season in my life and my family's life. And I know, I kind of feel like we're all in that same kind of boat. It's just been really hectic. And so to be able to come here and to kind of just rest in community with you guys is real, really nice. So thank you for uh, extending the welcome to, to me to come and share with you this morning. This is the last part of a series uh, about the church defined. And this morning we're talking about the church as one a united community. And I want to start with just a verse here. Oh, actually, sorry, before I begin as well, some of you may have noticed I've got a busted lip. um, And if I stumble over some of my words, it's fully because of that. If only we would bring the mask mandate back, you guys would have no idea, right? But unfortunately, masks are gone, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. But I just pray that you uh, bear with me if I stumble over some of my words. Uh, But I want to share a verse with you that comes from John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. And this is the words of Jesus as recorded by the uh, Apostle John. John says, well, Jesus says rather, quote, I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's pray. God, we're just grateful for the opportunity that it is to be here to meet together as a community. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, focus in on your word this morning, and we pray, God, that you would... Um, illuminate it for us, and make it real in a way that maybe it hasn't been before. God, thank you for each and every one of the people in this room today. We trust that you have called them here for a particular purpose, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, if you've heard from me before, you know that I like to begin any discussion with kind of a uh, definition of terms, right? Because I feel like we should all always be on the same page when we're talking about a few different things. Um, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about unity today. And I want to try and define unity just a little bit as we start. Now, unity could be defined as a totality of related parts, or the quality or state of being made one, or perhaps a condition of harmony or oneness. Unity, then, by its very definition, cannot exist without relationship. There must be multiple parts or factors involved for unity to be present. Now, it follows, then, that these factors or parts must be different from one another to become united, right? Related, but different. Just like my left hand is related but somewhat different to my right hand to be able to come together as a whole. So we could say then that unity is the state of multiple, just meaning more than one, different parts coming into or being complete in a condition of harmony and oneness. Now this is somewhat still incomplete though. 
And I think we need to look a little bit further and maybe ask the question, why engage with unity at all? What's the purpose of it? Is there a purpose? And I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning, and I hope that we get to some sort of answer, but I'm going to ask another question on top of the question that I just asked. And that is, can there be good unity and bad unity? And this will all make sense, hopefully, at the end. Now, I have heard it suggested that unity can be both good and bad, but I would counter that, or push back against that, rather, and counter that unity in of itself, oneness, is a neutral concept. But the circumstances or elements that we are united in or by or through can indeed be good or bad, helpful or harmful. Let me just give you a couple of examples. This is in a U.S. context, context rather, but this is actually kind of a, a global movement over the last couple of years, um, particularly in sort of post-colonial states or post-colonial powers. Uh, but in recent years in the U.S., uh, Confederate imagery, so think things like Confederate flags or monuments to Confederate generals. I'm pretty sure that's Robert E. Lee, who I, is, I'm actually kind of roundabout named after, my middle name. But anyways... If you don't know your U.S. history, that's okay. There was a war, 1860s, um, fought between the North and the South. The South seceded from the North. It was terrible, awful. Um, lots of different factors involved there. Um, primarily, the North was like this industrializing agriculture, uh, sorry, industrializing zone, and the South was this agricultural zone, and it was really sustained by the horrors of the, uh, the Atlantic slave trade. And so, in recent years, these Confederate images and, and symbols have come into focus as symbols of opposition to racial equality between black and white Americans. And interestingly, many of these uh, symbols were only relatively recently constructed or established um, as late as the 1950s and 60s uh, in a concerted effort by those opposed to racial equality. Now, I want you to ask yourself, what were those in opposition to the civil rights movement united by? I would say that they were united by bigotry, anger, fear, hatred, and ultimately sin. Now in contrast to this, during the civil rights movement of the 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders like him called for a peaceful and united front to stand up for the idea that we are all created equally. Now what were those people united by? I would suggest egalitarian ethics, peace, harmony, faith, and ultimately, love. Now, which of these two opposing views would you label as helpful or harmful? What about good or bad? Now, irrespective of the motives, good or bad, helpful or harmful, I think that these examples clearly show that unity exists, oneness exists within the context of purpose. Okay, hang on to that for a sec. So summing up everything we've spent the last couple of minutes talking about, unity then can be defined as the neutral state of harmony and oneness between multiple different parts working towards a common purpose. So that leads us to the question in our particular context, what is the purpose of Christian unity? Let's just set that aside for a second and we'll come back to it and talk about the other part of this lesson, and that is community. 
let me just ask a little bit about what is community? Now, most of us, when we talk about community, we say things like our church community or my work community or the school community. Now, full disclosure here, I am not gifted with common sense, okay? So what I'm about to say to you that I read in this academic journal kind of struck me as like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. But you're probably thinking like, well, of course, that's painfully obvious. How did you not realize that before? But I read an article last year in the Stanford Social Innovation Review that suggested that those spaces that I just mentioned, our church buildings, our workplaces, our schools, they are not communities in of themselves, but rather they are contexts and environments in which community takes place because community is first and foremost about relationship. It's not about places, it's about people. And as a Christian community, we recognize a powerful testament to this fact in the example of the living God. The God of the universe who exists in eternal relationship as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The the cosmogony of Genesis, the creation account of Genesis through the symbolism of the origins of mankind and Adam and Eve walking in harmony with God in the Garden of Eden teaches us about a God that desires relationship with and for his creation. And Jesus, walking alongside his followers, sharing meals with his disciples, ministering to the sick and the needy of the world, are powerful examples of a God that thirsts for community. Community is about relationship. And just like healthy relationships on like a micro level, healthy communities as a macro encourage and demonstrate trust, belonging, safety, and care. In other words, love. And love as it pertains to healthy communities and relationships should be the hallmark of our church. Jesus said as much in the Gospel of John where he said, quote, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And it's as if he hasn't said it enough. He finishes that that particular uh, text with, if you love one another. End quote. Notice, though, that this love Jesus is calling his followers to, to have for each other, is not some ethereal, like, gossamer-like feeling. It's not intangible or ungrounded. Far from it. The love that Jesus calls for us to possess and demonstrate is a love that is grounded in him and his example of love. So Christian community then can be defined as a group of individuals united in purpose to love each other as Christ loves them and to witness that love to the world. So then, how do we in our Christian communities live out this purpose? How do we love each other as Christ loves us and act as witnesses to the world? I'd like to suggest three ways this morning. First, see each other authentically. Secondly, love each other unconditionally. And finally, love Christ absolutely. What do I mean when I say seeing each other authentically? The Apostle Paul, in prolific new writer, Testament, 
uh, writing to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 3.28 said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now in recent years, this passage of Scripture written by Paul to the church in Galatia has become thrown around in discussions about gender identity and, and sexual orientation, debates about equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity, conversations regarding traditional family units and the roles of men and women in the home, society, and the church. And honestly, most of these discussions take this verse well and truly out of its context and attempt to apply it to suit a particular agenda. But Paul is writing to the church in Galatia about the law and the promise given to Abraham fulfilled in the purpose, uh, sorry, the person rather, of Jesus Christ. That no one is any longer under the guardianship of the law, but has instead been made free in Jesus, having clothed themselves with Christ. No matter your ethnic heritage or economic status or gender, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you are free and you are united in that freedom with those who have done the same. Remember earlier when we spoke about different parts being a prerequisite of unity, Paul isn't attempting to minimize or negate these differences because, and this is important, because where we come from, our ethnicities, our economic backgrounds, our gender, these are all important cultural identity markers that inform a part of who we are and how we interpret the world and society. And any attempt to hide or distort or deny these things will do nothing except make us inauthentic. But as Christians, these are not the primary sources of our identity. Instead, our identity is first and foremost, found in Jesus Christ. Again, Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And it is with this understanding of our relatedness in Jesus that we can authentically see and appreciate our differences and come together in a genuinely united community. Loving each other unconditionally. Let's first ask the question, what is conditional love? Well, conditional love says, if you think this, I will love you. If you do this, I will love you. If you are this, I will love you. The problem is that's not love. That's not the love of God who is the author, the foundation, and the sustainer of love. And as such, it is not the love that we are called to have for each other in our church communities. And this is a warped understanding of love that places value not on the inherent worth of an individual created to be unique in Christ, but instead measures someone's worth based solely on their output in a relationship or community. And this is actually tied up with seeing each other authentically because as soon as we start to make our love for each other in our communities contingent on who we think people should be, or withhold our love from others because, well, until they meet a certain criteria, we've severely misunderstood and are dangerously misrepresenting the love of Christ because God loves us no matter where we are. Paul wrote famously in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Now, this isn't to say that having a relationship with Christ doesn't require some change on our part, because it does. All healthy relationships require some degree of sacrifice from the participants. What's important is that even in our fallen state and in our broken natures, God still loved and sacrificed for us. Likewise, we must love each other in our communities unconditionally, no matter the cost. And finally, loving Christ, absolutely. We indirectly established a moment ago that God loves us so much that Christ died to bring us back into relationship with him. And Mel, reading from John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is the pinnacle of love. Jesus, looking ahead to his own death, said again in the Gospel of John, quote, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. This is the kind of love that we are given by the Father, a sacrificial love, an unconditional love, a complete love. I might just ask the band to come on up because we're going to finish in just a sec. They're not in here to defend themselves, but my kids, they sometimes get on my nerves. My wife's here, and she frustrates me sometimes. Likewise, I frustrate her. But there's nothing that they could do to stop me from loving them. My colleagues and my friends sometimes get on my nerves. I don't always agree with everything that's said here uh, here at Creekside. But I love each and every one of you, and I'll still continue to love you. And the love that I've got for you and the love that I have for my family, excuse me, is but a shadow of the love that God has for us. The love of God is overwhelming. It's all-encompassing. It's absolute. And there's nothing that can ever separate us from his love. No height nor depth, yeah? And those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus are called to love each other as Christ loves us. Again, the Gospel of John, this is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. But even more than this, Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms that we are to love him absolutely. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And I actually think that we've kind of finished up where we began. Loving Christ, absolutely. So what's next for us as a church? Well, I want to challenge you. Seek out unity, oneness within this community. Appreciate the diversity in our church and see each other authentically. Forgive and look beyond our failings and our shortcomings and love each other unconditionally. And finally, but before all else, love God as he has loved you and love Christ. Absolutely. That's the church as one. Let's pray. God, thank you so much once again that we could all be here this morning to hear your word, to study what it means to be a a united church. God, we're so grateful for each and every one of the people in this place, Lord. And Lord, as you have forgiven us, we pray that we would be quick to forgive each other. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to see each other as you created us authentically, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us to love each other with no contingency, to just love each other because we are all children of God. And I pray, Father, that you would help us before all else to put you before all else and to love you absolutely. God, please be with us as we go into the rest of this day and the remainder of our week. And God, I just pray that you would just continue to be with and bless this church community and the community that this church ministers to. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.